Joy McKnight is the deputy editor of The Banker. She's an expert commentator in the fintech industry and has previously written for publications covering treasury, transactional banking, and the growing fintech market. In today's podcast, Joy speaks about the future of fintech and whether there's room for collaboration between traditional and challenger banks. Hi, Joy. Thank you very much for being on our podcast. So I uh, just want to start with a bit of your role at the bank and just a bit of your business background. Uh, so I've been at the banker for about two and a half years. I'm deputy editor, um, but my beat is really transaction banking and technology. So to, I straddle those two things, which is pretty exciting, actually, because transaction banking sort of moves quite slowly. And now technology is just, you know, like a whirlwind. So it's nice to have that sort of crossover. And now you see a lot of the fintechs actually making an impact on the transaction banking side as well. Um, so, but I have a long history in uh, financial journalism. So I've worked on uh, corporate treasury publications such as GT News and Treasury Today. Um, I also worked on a, on a magazine called Banking Technology quite a few years ago now. Uh, and I started out on Computer Wiki. I was doing freelance for them. So a lot of tech, a lot of finance and stuff. So now I've, uh, yeah, I've come to the banker. You've been in the industry, you've kind of seen it, fintech kind of progress and change and a lot of new companies coming to the market. What's kind of been the biggest maybe tech transformation you've seen or banking transformation you've seen? I think it is the influx of the new fintech startups and that whole ecosystem that's happened over the past, I would say, five or six years now. And it really just exploded. And I have to, I have to say, I think it has to do with the um, availability and the sort of the progression of the cloud technology, right? So all of a sudden, it costs so much less to actually start up a business um, and to progress with your ideas. Um, I think the banks have been sort of pushed into a corner in a sense. They're really just always trying to keep up with the new regulations that came in after. Uh, the financial crisis that made it quite difficult for them to innovate and all of a sudden these new players have come in um, you know and I think at the beginning they were talking about uh, really eating the, the bank's lunch um, but really now I think it's turned into more of a much more of a collaboration space and I think the banks um, are no longer that fearful of the fintechs but actually really want to engage with them and uh, bring that innovation into the banking industry itself. Mm. Do you think we'll see a lot more collaboration happening, or will we? Yeah. Or will it be kind of one against the other? No, I think it's if the whole conversation has moved, let's say, over the last two years, from that idea of competition to much more collaboration, and I think that's really taking off. And I think the banks are really seeing the value of collaboration, um, but also the fintech. So mm. you know, it's very hard to and costly to acquire clients. The banks have already quite a big client base. And the fintechs are usually operating in maybe one market, maybe thinking about going into different markets, but really need to, um, you know, keep down that cost of client acquisition um, and also being able to access client data, which now with the payment services directive too, mm-hmm. um, and also open banking in the UK. You know, that sort of has forced that and forced more competition in the market. But at the same time, I think both sides are seeing the value of accessing that client data and like spinning up their models faster and things. So I think going forward, I think there'll be a lot of collaboration. Obviously that, you know, when we think about it, that we haven't really talked about the big tech giants, 
when you think about Alipay or uh, Amazon or Google, I think that is maybe where the big competition will happen for mm-hmm. the banks. So they need to keep their eyes on that, and I think they are. Do you think the kind of the big four, the tech giants, do you think they are a real threat to banks or? I think they're a threat to the, sort of the banking model of old, for sure. Yeah. Um, and I think that like none of them have really moved into the banking space in a big way, and mostly I think that's because of the regulate, regulatory environment. Um, but obviously, sort of they're moving towards banking, and the banks are also moving maybe towards a bit more of an e-commerce. Uh, platform approach. So they're also looking at the big tech giants and thinking, okay, what can we learn from that? Mm. And it's really interesting that you mentioned the the tech giants because their their models are doing things that are a lot more faster and you know all around the customer, I suppose. Um, and we have seen a couple of kind of fintech kind of do that in various parts, um, different geographies. So you know, in the east, there's a lot of big fintechs. And do you think the kind of the west is kind of copying them or kind of getting inspiration from them or yeah, it's a lot more? I think a lot of inspiration. I think the East, especially when we talk about China, I think it's a very specific you know, uh, model that works in China that maybe can't be just automatically you know, transposed into another geography. So I don't think you could do the exact same thing, but they are definitely looking to those tech giants mm-hmm. for, for inspiration. You think about WeChat. You know, in the WeChat app, you can do everything. You can bank, you can buy, you know, you can, you know, buy things, you can order a taxi, you can book your dinner, you know, everything. Everything, within yeah. one app. And I think the banks are thinking, okay, do we want to be like that? Do we want to be the app that everybody, you know, accesses for everything? Or yeah. do we want to be part of another platform? Mm. So I think that's the question uh, that they're facing right now. Yeah. And um, I just want to talk about an article you wrote on digital identity. Um, it just kind of explored, you know, it's an enabler, ena- enabler for um, the digital growth and the growth economy. Um, how do you think, you know, people are addressing digital identity right now? Are we sharing too much information online? Is there too much information available online? Well, it's, it's funny because it definitely made digital identity problem has not been solved. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I think banks have a big role to play in that, and that was what the article was about, about mm-hmm. what role they could play. Um, I guess when you think about like just what's happening with Facebook mm-hmm. and how, like it's not just about identity, it's about information and how data and information is being used. So I think there's going to be a bit of a crackdown on the regulatory side on that. But if you think about your digital identity, you should actually be able to um, have better control over that. Mm-hmm. Uh, like in a, in a, you know, in the, in a, you know, in the future, you should be able to show less of your identity. So okay, so this is an example. So we go, you go to the liquor store or something, and you say, and they say well, you need to prove you're over eighteen, mm-hmm. um, and you show them your driver's license, which shows your date of birth, your name, your address, your like all sorts of things, right? Yeah. But all, all you have to do is to prove that you're over eighteen. So really. In a digital identity world, you should be able only to show that attribute and not show all the other mm-hmm. information. So for me, it's very interesting because it was Jesse McWalters from uh, the World Economic Forum who wrote a paper on it, and he made that comment uh, when I interviewed him, um, which is just like, we should be able to actually just prove certain attributes mm-hmm. and not have to show all this other digital identity. So when people have all this fear around data um, and data breaches and things like that, 
in actual fact, if you had a secure digital identity, you should be able to have much more control. And people are looking at using blockchain for that. So that could be a killer app for uh, distributed ledger technology. What are your thoughts on, on blockchain and digital? Well, it's, okay, it's such a hype, and it's been going on for a few years now, and I don't think anyone has really found that killer app. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, and obviously, like blockchain is, you know, you have to um, dissociate it from Bitcoin. So most people talk about distributed ledger technology when you're talking about uh, um, the technology. Um, tons of hype. It seems to, that, you know, there seems to be a lot of potential. But if someone said to me, and I think it's like well known across the industry, is that sometimes people overestimate in the short term what an impact a technology will have, but underestimate sort of the long term. And I think blockchain definitely fits in within that. Mm. Uh, yeah. That's a great analysis. Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting. It wasn't mine, obviously. Someone <laughs> said it to me, but I thought, yeah, that's so right. Because, it, you know, the blockchain is, is distributed, so you have to have many different parties involved. Mm-hmm. So it can't just be me deciding to set up my own blockchain or whatever. Um, so for that to have, like, for that to happen, you need a lot of people involved and engaged. And the banks are definitely there. They have the R3 consortium. Um, Ripple is doing a lot of things in mm-hmm. cross-border payments. Um, you know, the DTCC is looking at clearing the settlement on the blockchain. So there, there's definitely use cases developing, but I wouldn't say there's something that is just like, boom, okay. Is ready. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Just a little bit on financial inclusion and kind of tying into the digital identity. People can't, you know, have access to traditional banking um, amenities. Would the digital identity kind of help them get there or... Well, supposedly, I guess. Like, that's the whole reasoning behind the India Adhar yeah. uh, biometric digital identity. You know, now it has more than one billion people registered on it. Um, but then that hasn't quite been translated really into financial inclusion. So even though all these people have uh, bank accounts, these bank accounts are dormant or not used because mm-hmm. people don't, you know, aren't, don't have the financial education really to, to use them or you know, can't see the value in them, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the thing. It's funny, I went to, I was at a conference recently, I was chairing a panel on the future of cash. Um, and uh, you really need to think about that because obviously cash is anonymous. Right? It has a lot of these attributes that people really like. It's anonymous, it's, you know, universally accessible, yep. pretty much, and stuff like that. And so, you know, you need for, for people to be really financially included and you need to have the financial education, you need to have something that really works for them. You need to have it at a price point. You know, cash is like free, mm-hmm. right, to access it and stuff like that. So you need to, in order to replace cash, then you need to have all these things in place. Um, and, you know, fundamentally, it has to make people's lives better. Mm. Yeah, no, it's absolutely true. And kind of going back to the Adhar card, when, um, you know, Modi introduced, there was not going to be cash use in India and everyone was kind of depositing their the cash that they had, it just, it was kind of like a mismatch because people weren't ready, I guess. Yeah, and it was really, it was a shock to the system and things, and um, yeah, so they, because when I was at this conference, someone, now, someone made the, the comment that, uh, you know, Modi actually said we should move to a cashless society, um, but then when all those notes disappeared, People were making all these jokes that it is a cash. <laughs> then they were like, "We should be, we should move to a less cash society." Mm-hmm. So the idea about completely getting rid of cash, I think, is still very 
um, nascent in a lot of places. I, I think the Nordic countries are much further advanced and already um, they, you know, digital money is, mm. is very well accepted there. But you have to have the confidence that when you leave your, your flat or your house or whatever, that you don't need cash, mm. that you would never need cash in order to not have any, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's that confidence of being able to say, you know, like that everything would work, that, you know, cards or, you know, Apple Pay or, or whatever will be accepted everywhere. Mm. And I don't actually have to carry something that might be needed. Mm. You just think about what's happening in China, like the whole uh, WeChat Pay and stuff like that. Um, so I was talking to, um, uh, one of my colleagues who covers Asia, Stefania Palmer, and she was in Beijing not that long ago, and she said it was a, you know, it had been a couple of years since she'd been there, but she said it, just in that time, you've gone from, you know, using cash to never having to use cash. So mm -hmm. everyone needs to, everyone uses, you know, digital, uh, whether it's tap and go or whatever, mm -hmm. uh, payments. Um, but they, you know, any, you might even be looked down upon if you bring out cash, mm. that kind of idea. Uh, another Chinese friend of mine also said the exact same thing. Obviously, that's in the urban centers like Beijing or Shanghai or something like that. But, you know, to all of a sudden, within that short space of time, mm. move to on, almost cashless, that's huge. Yeah. Great. Um, and looking forward, I suppose, to the rest of the year and the next few years, um, what, will, what do you think will be the big trends that we'll see? in technology or AI or... Well, I think AI is just going to, yeah, I think it's really going to change things fundamentally in so many different parts of the bank. Um, so not just the resale side, but like transaction banking, you know, investment banking, all of that kind of stuff, um, insurance, everything. So I think, you know, the application of, you know, artificial intelligence, whether that is uh, machine learning, deep learning, natural language processing, things like that, all of a sudden, you know, it just creates this, you know, it, al it allows the banks to be much more nimble. Mm -hmm. um, it allows them to deliver very, you know, um, customer-centric, and I mean to like a really nth degree customer-centric product and stuff at the right time, in the right language, everything. You know, mm -hmm. you think about the chat box that a lot of banks are using now, yeah. which just means that they can be much more targeting. So when, you know, the client can customer can go through different things with the chatbot and then end up with a personal yeah. uh, thing but by the time they've gotten there they, they all the information that they need to make proper decisions is already within the hands of the person mm -hmm. um, uh, that's serving the client so I think that yeah I have to say I think for me I think that's going to be when as we watch that accelerate that was going to be the most interesting thing mm. well fantastic thank you so much for being yeah. on the podcast